We're going to be reviewing in the next three weeks the character of the Apostle Peter, one of the closest disciples of the Lord Jesus. I was quite uh, interested to try and find some references as to how Peter referred to himself, because I think that's uh, often a, a clue as to the nature of the, the character of the person. And here's how he introduces his second epistle. He says, Simon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ. One of the dangers with a character study is you maybe elevate the character uh, beyond what is appropriate. Um, our objective is through the life of Peter to learn something about the ultimate character study, which is the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. So let's not get Peter <coughs> out of balance. Let's use him as a, an example, someone who we can relate to because in many respects he was very like us and um, see how we can learn from his example about our relationship with the real character study, which is the person of the Lord Jesus. I've, um, it's a pretty big subject, so I've kind of come up with these three headings uh, for each of the three weeks that we've got. Um, and it in no way investigates all of the material. Um, Ian was saying in, in looking at... Um, Deborah, one of his characters, that there's like two or three verses. Um, so how can you get you know a load of information from just a few verses? There is um, a rich picking in the New Testament around the person of Peter. So uh, we'll struggle to uh, embrace it all. But maybe this is an appetite wetter for us to um, look ourselves at the things that we uh, won't get to. But today I'd like us to consider this expression about him he was described as a an unschooled ordinary man i can relate to that i'm pretty unschooled unschooled uh, just demonstrated it unschooled um and certainly in my view just an ordinary guy and i think we can probably all relate to that um second session next week um Satan, the Lord Jesus said, has asked you, Peter, asked me, Peter, to that he might sift you as wheat. And that's uh, the trials and difficulties that um, Peter went through. And I, I think it's a, a rich study for us to think about Peter's rather rocky relationship uh, with the Lord, certainly in the early days, and a lot for us to learn from that. And then finally, strengthening his brothers is really how we leave Peter, both at the end of the Gospels when he, uh, and the beginning of the Acts when he goes into his commission, and also through his own epistles that he's written. We see someone who, whose commission from the Lord was to strengthen his brothers, and we see someone who is very much delivering on, on that commission. So that's the... Um, the three things that I would like us to uh, focus on in the next three weeks. But today, we'll have a, a short biography of the man. Um, we'll look at his call, his confession, and something called the chase. So, <clears throat> first of all, Acts 4, verse 13. I'm going to move this a little bit. Not crick me neck when I look at the screen. 
Acts 4 verse 13, one of my favourite verses, it's kind of just thrown in and, and loaded with, um, with lots of, for us to think about. It's when they, that's the, the crowd, this is a Pentecost, um, so all kinds of flavours of people, but when they saw the courage of Peter and John and realised they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. That's a great kind of crowning verse for us to think about. You have courage. Uh, they demonstrated courage. They, um, of course, we're talking about Peter and John, but Peter specifically. Unschooled, ordinary men. And the crowd were astonished um, when they saw what the, the courage that the men were displaying and they took note that they'd been with Jesus. I should have drawn your attention to this little uh, verse at the end, at the bottom of each slide, 1 Peter 3 and 15, which um, perhaps is a, a crowning verse for the whole of the three series and emphasises the point I was making that we're not elevating Peter, the person, we're using a study of his character to try and understand the richness of the relationship that we can have with his Lord. Um, his um, instructions in his first epistle was, but in your hearts set apart Christ as Lord. And we're looking at a character who has lived out that instruction in his own life. So in his heart, he set apart Christ as Lord. And the challenge comes to us, and there'll be a few challenges in each of our ministries. Um, the challenge comes to us, who is, who is Lord of my life? Who is Lord of my heart? Um, and the default Lord is ourselves. And one of the transforming things that happens to Christians who give their lives to serve their Saviour, the Lord Jesus Christ, is that they set apart Jesus Christ as Lord in their hearts, in their lives. We'll be revisiting that verse from time to time. So let's have a, a quick look at um, a biography. I'm just going to kind of read this through. We'll get a sense for, for the person. So uh, his name is uh, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ. Um, he has other names, Simon and... Cephas, and we'll read how his name was changed from Simon to Peter. We'll talk a little bit about that. Date of birth, somewhere in the range of 10 BC. So he was for sure a contemporary of Jesus, but probably a little bit older. Um, place of birth, um, Bethsaida, northern tip of Galilee in Israel. His family, he was the son of John, also known as Jonah, brother of Andrew, and the general consensus is that Andrew, also um, one of the 12 apostles, um, was probably older than Peter. We have evidence that he was married because he talks about his mother-in-law, um, but don't really know whether he had any children. Education, clearly an intelligent man, but with limited early education opportunity, so he would have been pitched into the family business early on. Speaking of family business, his occupation was a professional fisherman, a boat owner, a businessman, 
latterly a full-time minister in the Churches of God. Uh, religion, Orthodox Jew, a disciple of John the Baptist, um, a Messiah spotter, um, an early disciple of Jesus Christ, and then latterly a Christian, an overseer in the Churches of God. Character traits, a natural leader, outspoken, impetuous, opinionated, passionate, mellow and wise in his old age. He died around AD 67, so this would be probably in his late 70s, in Rome, and Christian tradition is he was executed by crucifixion. Actually, tradition has that he was executed upside down. Um, he was crucified upside down. Legacy, rich insight into the love and character of the Lord Jesus. Um, we can see that in the record of his life in um, the Gospels and in Acts, as well as his own writings. A pioneer of Christianity, primarily amongst the Jews. He wrote two God-breathed letters um, of teaching, and their content is key aspects of divine service in churches of God, uh, call to persevere in the face of suffering, a blueprint of overseer service, uh, and the importance of loyalty and uncompromised adherence to truth. So I don't know what your CV looks like, but um, that's on one page what this character that we're um, going to be considering looks like, kind of an impressive um, biography. I'd like us to consider three C's, call, confession, and the chase. Inc incidentally, the chase we've already read about today, it's in John 20, which Gid uh, read a little moment ago. So we'll revisit that. Thought boggle. Being with Jesus results in ordinary people doing extraordinary things. That was the observation uh, that we saw in that earlier verse. They saw an unschooled, ordinary man, and they were astonished. Why were they astonished? Because this ordinary man was doing extraordinary things. And that's um, our opportunity also as disciples of the Lord Jesus, if we, in our hearts, set apart Christ as Lord. I'd like us to read about uh, Peter's calling, and it's in John, John's Gospel, chapter 1, and we'll just read a few verses, 35 to 42. No need to turn, if you uh, just want to listen, that's fine. So, John 1, 35. The next day, John was there again with two of his disciples, when he saw Jesus passing by, he said, Look, the Lamb of God. When the two disciples heard him say this, they followed Jesus. Turning around, Jesus saw them following and asked, What do you want? They said, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? Come, he replied, and you will see. So they went and saw where he was staying, and they spent that day with him. It was about four in the afternoon. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two, who heard what John had said and had followed Jesus. The first thing Andrew did was to find his brother Simon and tell him, we have found the Messiah, that is the Christ. And he brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, 
You are Simon, son of John. You will be called Cephas, which when translated is Peter. <clears throat> One of the things I wanted to understand or kind of try and encourage us to think around is that uh, Peter's calling was not a one-off uh, event. Uh, it started with a kind of key point in time and, and a key set of circumstances, but um, Peter's calling was a process. And I just like to challenge us that um, we need to recognise that wherever we are in our Christian life, perhaps even if we haven't started our Christian life because we haven't put our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ yet the whole calling is a process and that means it has certain stages and the stages that I kind of reflect on here is um, first of all the introduction so curiously um, Peter was introduced to the Lord Jesus by Andrew the Lord must have had a real impact on Andrew. He spent one day with him and was convinced this is the Messiah. And you have the sense that you, you know, uh, Peter and John, very orthodox Jewish family, um, proactively looking out for the Messiah because they could see from the Old Testament that the Messiah would come. And Andrew um, comes along and says, we've found the Messiah. And he um, goes to... Peter introduces, um, makes this statement, and then brings him to the Lord Jesus. And it moves to a close and personal encounter, um, which we've read a, a little bit about today, but there's more detail um, in other Gospels, if you want to check that out, uh, Luke 5 in particular. Um, Peter also, later in life, had a very specific commission. So after his three years of following the Lord Jesus, after the Lord Jesus' death and resurrection, we go to John 21 and you have that quite famous uh, dialogue between Peter and the Lord where the Lord is asking him, Peter, do you love me? Um, and he commissions him each time um, tend my lambs, feed my sheep, tend my flock. And um, there was the Lord giving Peter a very specific commission. And then doing the commission is the whole of the rest of, of the New Testament, really. You get references to Peter and his activity from the beginning of the Acts of the Apostles. Um, that's the book after the, after the Gospels. And then going on through to the churches of God and his, his involvement in the churches of God. Um, so, what about my calling? What about your calling? Have we been introduced? Um, clearly we have, we're all here. And maybe we should be reflecting back on the circumstances in which we were first introduced to this person, Jesus Christ. Um, Peter responded. He was obviously... Um, warmed up as it were so that when Andrew came you know, it was very natural for them to go together and to see the Lord maybe um, someone here has been introduced you know, they've been told about the wonder of this person 
that they haven't responded yet. So there's a, a, a challenge. I think I have a little challenge in a blue box here, is where is my call up to? So the first thing is, if you've been introduced, have you followed up? And that means thought about it, um, actually felt that you wanted to know and see this person, know more of this person and see them for yourselves. Then there was an encounter and uh, Peter would have, I imagine, often reflected back on that real encounter. And again, the challenge comes to us, have we had a personal encounter with the Lord Jesus? Is that part of our experience of our calling? Because it needs to be. You know, you can't um, feel called on the back of someone else's calling. You know, this is an individual thing. It's not um, a whole group of people being um, kind of carried along. This is starting with an individual introduction and an individual encounter. What does a personal encounter with the Lord Jesus look like today? It wasn't, uh, in those days, it was a physical uh, dialogue and, and visit that they had. Of course, our encounter with the Lord Jesus is, is by faith. And it's understanding who he is and what he's done by faith and having an interaction with him by prayer. And I would just encourage us to reflect on, have we done that? Um, if so, is it an ongoing experience or is it something that's gone quiet in our, in our lives? Then there's the commission. Um, that sounds a very grand thing to think that uh, us as individuals would be commissioned uh, by the Son of God. Well, actually, that's the amazing thing about the Christian message. God provided the Lord Jesus to be our saviour so that we can spend eternity with him in heaven. And that's just a fabulous hope and uh, commitment. But actually our Christian life is about the here and now. And God has prepared specific things that he wants us to do. And that's our calling, that's our commission. And wouldn't it be great if we all had a real sense of what it is that God's called us to do with our lives. It actually sounds profound and very philosophical, but it's the truth. It's the meaning of life to know your personal commission and what you should be doing. And of course, a commission requires a commitment. So once the commission is heard and understood, then I guess there's a choice to walk away from it or to follow through with it. And we'll see how Peter uh, was able to follow through on the commitment that he made to the commission that he'd been given. So where is my call up to is the challenge to my heart from this first um, aspect of lessons from Peter. Let's move to the second, which is about his confession. And we'll go to Matthew 16 for this. <clears throat> Matthew 16, verse 13. So we're maybe halfway through the three years that uh, Peter and his brother John and the other disciples spent with the Lord, maybe a bit sooner than halfway through. And um, verse 13 of Matthew 16 says, When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, 
Who do people say the Son of Man is? They replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. But what about you, he asked, who do you say I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but, my, but by my Father in heaven, and I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Then he ordered his disciples not to tell anyone that he was the Messiah. We're now thinking about a man who had spent considerable time with this person, Jesus Christ, and a key, a pivotal, a pivotal experience point in their relationship was Peter coming to a conviction as to the true identity of Jesus. That's what his confession is about. And again, the challenge really is, what do I think about the person? Do I have a view on his identity? It's quite interesting to explore the immediate prior context to this question that Jesus asked. It was um, actually just post the feeding of the 4,000, it says 5,000 up there, but you get um, in Matthew the feeding of the 5,000 first, and then you get a sense a couple of days later, the crowd, having discovered this man can provide food for free, uh, another crowd comes along and the Lord feeds them as well. Um, the Lord is also quite provocative. So immediately prior to it, he talks about the yeast. That means the hypocrisy of the Pharisees. Kind of a brave, not very politically correct thing for Jesus to be saying. Um, and then you get from Luke's account of Jesus asking this question that it was asked immediately after he'd been praying in the in earshot of his disciples. So <clears throat> the context of the question and Peter's answer was the Lord Jesus demonstrating this amazing power <coughs> in the feeding of the 5,000 and the feeding of the 4,000 and all that went with that, healings and, and all kinds of things. Then he sees a person who is um, very courageous in his convictions and is prepared to speak out against the hypocrisy of the Pharisees. Um, and then he has the, Peter has the amazing privilege of listening to this great man pray. I've said it before, but I, I really love praying with people and not me praying, but listening to them pray. Um, because you get a sense of what's really important to them, what's on their hearts. And Peter had that great uh, privilege. And after that immediate set of experiences, Jesus says, well, who do you think I am? And Peter says, you're the Christ, uh, the son of the living God. Let's have a look at other confessions that Peter made um, around the same subject to do with his understanding of Jesus' identity. Um, in Matthew, as we read, he says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. 
Mark's account of the same dialogue, um, heard it a little bit differently, you are the Christ. Luke's account, the Christ of God. Andrew, we have found the Messiah, another statement as to the identity of the Lord Jesus. Um, Luke 5 was after a large catch of fish that Jesus had demonstrated using Peter's rig and his, and his boat and stuff. And he says, go away from me, Lord, for I am a sinful man. In his second epistle, um, he's reflecting on the time when the Lord Jesus was transfigured for Peter to, in front of Peter, James and John. And um, he reflects on that and writes, we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. Again, a tremendous privilege that Peter had. Um, and then in his instructions to overseers, now Peter's probably getting on a bit and uh, got a lot of experience as an elder in the churches of God. And he describes himself in 1 Peter 5 as he's addressing the overseer community. Um, he describes himself as a, a witness of Christ's sufferings. Again, something that underpinned his view of Jesus' identity. And then we get from uh, 1 Corinthians 15 and 5, and we will talk about this a little later on in the coming weeks, is um, Christ raised on the third day and appeared to Peter. So Peter had that privilege of seeing physically the risen Lord Jesus Christ. All of these things um, supported his statement that um, indeed Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. Did he work this out because he was a clever man? <coughs> Actually, no, that's not the point. He was an unschooled, ordinary man. We've kind of read that. And the Lord Jesus said, flesh and blood hasn't revealed this to you. Um, really important thing for us to understand is that working out the true identity of Jesus Christ is not an academic kind of mental exercise that we go through. It is a act of faith and something that God chooses to reveal to us. Um, that's very precious to me because, you know, sometimes we might find things difficult to rationalize. Um, and there always is a step of faith. And um, what the Lord Jesus was saying to Peter is, you haven't worked this out by your own clever thinking. It's been revealed to you by God. And therefore, this truth is very precious. And he goes on to say, blessed are you, Simon, son of John. It's a great blessing to have had the identity of the person of the Lord Jesus revealed to us. A quick look at what happens next. We've had Peter's confession. And then Jesus immediately goes in to predict the um, nature of his own death. Peter, uh, Jesus' own death and then um, Peter is privileged as we've said to witness at a later state Jesus being transfigured what we've, got, what we've got here in Peter's confession and his understanding of who Jesus is is a whole catalogue of experiences and um, some of those experiences are very supportive of his belief some of them are perhaps a little bit 
uh, contradictory, like, for example, when the Lord Jesus first predicted his death. His disciples would say, well, what are you talking about? You know, you, that's incompatible with your status as, as the, the Christ, the Son of the living God. But of course, the bigger picture, which Peter would have later on in life, was pulling, putting all of these pieces of the jigsaw together. He would indeed, uh, again, have confirmed to him that his understanding of who Jesus is was true. He is the Christ, the Son of the living God. So the challenge is, who is the Lord Jesus to me? Um, <clears throat> Peter's appreciation of who Jesus is changed his life. You know, there was no little compartment of his life that was kept for himself. Um, you get in Luke 5, that's when um, he had that big catch of fish and Jesus called them to follow him and he said, I'm going to make you fishers of men. And it says he left everything and followed him, including the massive big catch of fish, which was probably worth a fortune. Um, that's the impact the true identity of the Lord Jesus had, the realisation of the true identity of the Lord Jesus had on Peter. And the challenge is, who is the Lord Jesus to me? And the measure of who he is, is in my own behaviour and what I do for him, my commitment, as we all see Finally, let's go to the, the chase. And it's the passage of scripture that uh, Gid has already read. First nine verses of John 20. But let's go there again. Um, <clears throat> and this is after the arrest, the trial, the denial of Peter. Peter denying that he knew the Lord. After his crucifixion, and at the point of his resurrection, that's the, of Jesus' resurrection, that's the context of it all. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one who Jesus loved, and said, they've taken the Lord out of the tomb and I don't know where they've put him. So Peter and the other disciple started for the tomb. Both were running but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent over and looked in at the strips of linen lying there, but did not go in. Then Simon Peter came along behind him and went straight into the tomb. He saw the strips of linen lying there, as well as the cloth that had been wrapped around Jesus' head. The cloth was still lying in its place, separate from the linen. Finally, the other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went in. He saw and believed. They still did not understand from scripture that Jesus had to raise, rise from the dead. I think we sometimes forget what happened prior to this very familiar account of Peter and John in a chase, um, going to see if the discovery Mary Magdalene had made was was true. What had happened was a shocking denial from Peter to the Lord. One that Jesus had predicted and one of the last things we read prior to this about Peter is that um, when he denied the Lord for the third time, it says the cock 
crowed and the Lord looked at him and you know at that stage he was in the middle of of um, getting that really bad treatment from um, Pilate and the soldiers so he would have already been beaten up at that stage and you get this eye contact going on between the Lord and Peter and it says Peter went out and wept bitterly and that was the last thing that had happened and you know you can try and put yourself in Peter's shoes and imagine how he felt you know just bitterly bitterly disappointed with himself ashamed of himself and now Jesus was dead you know what a what a tragic tragic end to a great relationship and Peter had denied him just imagine how he felt and it just occurred to me that these these two men racing to the tomb to investigate the truth behind what Mary Magdalene had said had very different frames of mind John was standing at the cross and Peter would have been at a distance John was standing at the cross so close that he, the Lord was able to interact with him um, you know maybe they'd started off at a distance but John had found himself close up and he would have perhaps seen the suffering of the Lord more in his face than, um, than Peter did. This is a little bit of speculation, but I can just imagine Peter hiding somewhere because of what he'd done. He was, he was withdrawn, ashamed and um, very, very sad. Um, but they hear the news and it seems like Mary Magdalene makes a beeline for Peter you know I've got to find Peter because Jesus is, a, is, is um, he's not there and we need to go and see where he is you can imagine that during those three days there would have been a lot of wringing of hands a lot of dialogue going on between the disciples how has this happened and Peter you know distraught how can my relationship with this man have ended in such a bad way um, and they race to the tomb and Peter has got this bittersweet um, attitude in his mind he's, he's in despair but he's excited in despair at the um, tragic, tragic end to the relationship but excited maybe at the prospect that it isn't all over and again this is the, the kind of concluding challenge from the chase that, um, that Peter had when he heard the news that uh, Jesus' body wasn't in the tomb. I guess the, the, the challenge that I would leave us with is about our relationship with him. You know, love demands that when relationships fall down, that they're put back together and Peter had clearly really struggled um, for the last couple of days with the way it had ended and here was potentially if it was true that the reason why Jesus body was missing is because he was alive then there was an opportunity for him to put it right we'll explore that a little bit further in um, in next week's um, message but again, the challenge I would leave us with is 
if we can perhaps sometimes feel in despair, uh, either because of circumstances around us or because of our own sense of failure in our sin or in our commitment, um, then there is an opportunity to put that right. And it, it turns despair into excitement. And I just encourage us to think about those things. So next week we'll be moving into thinking of this expression that the Lord Jesus used about Peter when he said, Satan has asked to sift you as wheat. It's kind of an intriguing uh, illustration. Shall we pray?